Welcome to the Christian Atheists, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number 132, chat review number two with Rachel Thomas on what fractals can teach us about our God. This season on the Christian Atheists, we want one thing, to know our God better, to think his thoughts, and thus to love him more and more. And if there's one thing that is certain, it is that God is the ultimate mathematician. To this end, we welcome back to the Christian atheist, Rachel Thomas, our own mathematical guru. If you are just tuning into our podcast, we would suggest you listen to our previous interview with Rachel, episodes number 128, 129, and 130. A quick shout out to one of our listeners, Nora Bernal, who asked us after Rachel's last interview series if we had any other resources on this fascinating topic. We would like to point you all to a book we found published in 2021 by Dr. Jason Lyle called Fractals, The Secret Code of Creation. Dr. Lyle is a Christian astrophysicist, and Jenny and I both found the first chapter, which you can download and read for free, quite helpful. We will put a link in the description. You can also learn quite a bit about the mathematics of fractals and the Mandelbrot set in the Wikipedia articles on them. Welcome back, Rachel. Jenny and I have been reading and studying in preparation for today's discussion, and we can't wait to learn what you have to teach us. Well, it's good to be back. Thank you for, for having me back on your chatter view. Um, <laughs> this, this should be fun. I, I love talking about fractals. I love talking about math. Uh, so I, I appreciate the opportunity to share that with a broader audience. So what are fractals? What a loaded question. Yes, <laughs> what are fractals? And I ask my students all the time, uh, I, I teach lots of different classes, including like an intro geometry class. You know, the, I call it the struggle bus geometry class. And in the struggle bus geometry class, we talk a lot about fractals because we can see them all around in nature and the things that we do and the ways we behave and things we say, the things we listen to. And whenever I ask the students, I, I open by asking, what do you think a fractal is? I get all kinds of different answers. <clears throat> and honestly, if we asked Benoit Mandelbrot, if you were alive today and we asked him, he would probably also give us all kinds of different answers. So that's where the term comes from. It's from a 20th century mathematician named Benoit Mandelbrot, who was half Polish, right? So hence the, the funky sounding name. He was actually a Polish Jew who sought asylum here in the United States with his family after World War II or during World War II. And Mandelbrot came up with the term fractal kind of as an English language term, if you can call it that, in the 1980s, because of the fractured nature of what they are. So we're talking about geometric figures, something maybe more than that, because you can apply the concepts to physical and metaphysical things as well. But uh, like a broccoli, a little piece of broccoli is probably one of the most classic examples of a fractal, because it has this property where if I'm looking at the whole head of broccoli, or one little stalk of it, or one teeny tiny little stalk, or even like the little minuscule part, it all looks the same. Uh, the same branching patterns, the same, if you were just looking at one piece without any scale around it, somebody took a picture of a piece of broccoli, you wouldn't be able to tell how large a piece of broccoli you were looking at, because uh, it has that self-similar property. That's probably the most fundamental commonality among all objects that we would call fractals. Do they call that scale invariance? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or similarity of scale is, is often a term that's thrown around. If you were teaching a class, how would you introduce it to them? Sure. 
Sure. One of the very first fractals that I like to introduce everybody to is the the Sierpinski gasket, which if you're if you're just listening to this, look it up. Take a minute and look up the picture of the Sierpinski gasket. If you get close with the spelling, you'll find it. It's a triangle. <laughs> just so ask, how do you spell that? <laughs> yeah. S-I-E-R. The guy's name was Vaslav Sierpinski. So he was another Polish mathematician, Vaslav with a W. <laughs> so it looks okay. like Waklau. S-I-E-R-P-I-N-S-K-I. The Sierpinski gasket or Sierpinski triangle. If you start with a triangle, you just draw a triangle and you lightly shade it in with your pencil and you find the midpoints of each of the sides and connect them. You have a little triangle on the inside. You erase that middle triangle. So now it looks like the thing on the Zelda games. <laughs> so usually my students say, oh, it's the triforce. Okay, sure. <laughs> so we've got that. And then you've got three solid triangles and one empty one in the middle. Take each one of the solid triangles and you do that again. Find the midpoints of those sides, connect them, erase, connect them, erase. Uh, do that for, oh, I don't know, 50 times. <laughs> no, Mandelbrot actually proved that you only have to go seven generations, if you will. You only have to go seven generations or seven steps of repeating a pattern to form a fractal. That's what you would call visually stable, where if you went one more step, you would not, no one would visually be able to tell the difference between them. Right. So at that point, we're looking at this triangle or what was a triangle. If you if you stay at it for 10, 15 minutes, you've erased 99.9% of what was originally your triangle and you just have a bunch of dots there. And this brings us to what the technical definition is of a fractal, uh, which is actually an object with fractional dimension. Mandelbrot chose the fract part of the word fractal because of not having whole number dimensions. Something with one dimension is a line. Something with two dimensions would be something that has a measurable area. Right. So we're looking at this triangle or what was once a triangle that has a lot of stuff erased in it. Uh, if I could do that forever, I would have no area left in my triangle. So it can't be two dimensional. But whatever it is that I'm looking at has more than one dimension because it's definitely not a straight line. So the dimension of that thing is somewhere between one and two, which is a very, very interesting concept. And, and that wasn't actually that groundbreaking when Mandelbrot came along in the 20th century. There were 19th century mathematicians like Georg Cantor who had thought about fractional dimensions, but nobody ever formalized the concept that you could actually, and, and Hausdorff, Hausdorff defined a dimension computation that allowed for fractional and non-integer answers. Mandelbrot was the first one, though, that actually said, like, yes, fractional dimension. If an object has a dimension between two whole numbers, then we can call it a fractal. And it turns out that those things are the things that have self-similarity. And this, the notion of space filling also fits yes. into that, too. Um, exactly. I, I mean, this, so, so Jenny and I, as I was researching this, one of the things I found most fascinating was exactly what you're just talking about, this notion of a fractional dimension, where you have mm -hmm. point is zero. There's, there is mm -hmm. no dimensionality whatsoever. And then mm -hmm. you've got all this in between. And anything that's cl very close to zero will essentially behave like no dimensions. <laughs> and mm -hmm. anything close to one on just on one side or the other will also look very much like a line. Uh, mm -hmm. Right? One? Yeah. Yeah. One is a line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. One uh, like a line. But when you start getting farther out from it to the extremes, then it starts acting weird and doing the fractal. <laughs> Yes, Acting weird is the technical term. Yes, it's it's <laughs> yeah. it it goes back to something we talked about last time too. This sort of asymptotic approach uh -huh. to a perfect thing. So, are there really things like three dimensions that we are that are sort of real solid things, or are we always only in the world that we're experiencing, just sort of approaching those? Because that's a great question. Yeah. yeah, and 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 on top of that, you have things that are 
that have a dimension, but not in the Euclidean sense, if that makes any sense, like a Euclidean two-dimensional thing, if I think, or, or Euclidean one-dimensional object would be if I had a line that just went on infinitely in two in one direction to the left, one direction to the right, never the end shall meet. It just goes on infinitely. And that thing is great to think about. It's a very easy description of what a one-dimensional thing is, but it does not really exist. We don't have infinity in our universe that I can't make a line. I can't, no matter how great I am at baking pasta, I cannot make a spaghetti noodle that long, right? <laughs> so in reality, we don't have completely one-dimensional things. I could look at a circle though, if I took my spaghetti noodle and I made it, I, I cooked it so it was wobbly and then I made it into a circle. If I were a teeny tiny little organism living on that spaghetti noodle, for all intents and purposes, it would look one-dimensional to me. So that's another concept which would be like, uh, uh, manifold. It's like a one a one dimensional manifold would be something that is actually one dimensional, but not in a Euclidean rigid or rectangular kind of a sense. Like our Earth, we can pretend that people thought that the Earth was flat for so long because when you're on it, it does actually look like a Euclidean rectangular two dimensional plane going on infinitely in two dimensions. When in reality, it's a two manifold. It's a sphere where we're on the edge of something that is two dimensional locally, but not Euclidean. So we got the Euclidean versus non-Euclidean dimension plus the concept that we could actually not even have integer dimensions that we're living in. And what is the shape of the universe that we're living in? Now, who knows? <laughs> now we've got some very many questions to answer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, maybe it's a case that our the way we were designed enables us to maximally interact at those nearly ideal margins of dimensionality but all those other dimensions are still a part of everything that's going on. We're just not tuned in to what they are. So yeah, it's mind boggling. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I, can can I do a weird little illustration for you? Sure. Did I ever do the Jesus is a pencil thing? Jesus is my, a pencil? Jesus is a pencil. Okay. Yeah. So this is the this is an illustration that my students ask for sometimes. I have a little piece of paper here and I'm going to draw a little triangle on it. This is my friend, a triangle. He's got a smiley face. Hi, Mr. Triangle. There he is. Okay. okay. So if you're just listening, I just have a little piece of paper with a triangle drawn on it. And this triangle lives inside the paper. And if I told him that I'm up here, I want to talk to him. Hello, Mr. Triangle. I'm up here. If he's looking up to him, he looks up to the top edge of the paper. But I'm up here saying I'm, I'm up here. I'm here. I'm up. And, and to him, there's a whole other up that he doesn't see, right? And that's very much to me, like one of the sticking points I had with the Bible before I was a believer is that heaven was supposed to be up. You know, right. Jesus went up into the clouds and Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind, but we knew it was up and it was the moon. It wasn't heaven, right? But this little triangle, he has an idea of up in his world that is limited because of the world he lives in. And I'm trying to tell him that there's something else up here. If I want this, I'm I have a pencil in my hand. If I'm trying to show... Mr. Triangle here, my pencil, I've got two options, one of which would be to yank him out of his page and show him the triangle, you know, pull him into a completely different dimension. He's going to freak the heck out. Uh, <laughs> this was Isaiah saying, I'm undone. You know, this is Ezekiel trying to describe the, the chariot throne yeah, of justice, yeah, yeah. talking for three pages, and we still don't know what the heck he was trying to talk, <laughs> talk about. So that's one option, right? I can try and show this limited creature something beyond his world. Or I can take the thing that is from the world beyond this pencil and I can poke it through his world and he's not going to see it all at once. He's going to see the teeny tiny little tip of the pencil, the, the pencil lead, that's Jesus as a baby, right, in the manger. He's going to see the little wooden part that's sharpened. So that's Jesus, the 12-year-old Jesus in the temple. He's going to see the yellow 
hexagon for a long time. That's Jesus doing all his miracles and working on earth, right? He's going to see this metal thing. Uh, that's Jesus on the cross, and he's going to see the little eraser. Jesus, the, this is how Jesus can be the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. The pencil hasn't changed at all. And it, what the the guy saw, what Mr. Triangle saw, changed as it intersected his world, but the pencil was always the same. Yeah. And that's... That's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's so really- you... You were saying that like dimensions exist outside what we see. I 100% believe that. And if you read up on string theory and like, I, I don't think that those concepts are in conflict with what the Bible tells us. I think we just have to see beyond what we're training ourselves to see in it. Yep, yeah. Yeah. That's what we've been, we've been trying to say and, and discover ourselves. Um, we've been thinking a lot about that lately. And with like the body being the vehicle for the soul, and we are thinking, we're wondering how much do like angels, they can't perceive the world because they don't have our eyes, you know, our senses. So they like they inhabit a body so that they can experience the world. Can they experience the world without being in a body on earth? Yeah. Do so they have the ability to do they because they don't have the eyes, the senses, the ears that we have. Do you understand what I mean? Animals or people or whatever. So we, we've been thinking about those kind of things. They're like the gathering pigs, right? When, yeah. when the demons were yeah. cast into them, they wanted to be in flesh. They wanted to be in some place. So they, right. mm-hmm. I mean, they can they can experience this world, but they can't, it's almost like Frodo and he would get ring. Yeah. And sudden he sees things differently, you know, and, and, yeah, and they have to be in, have our sensing abilities in order to see the world the way we see it. I mean, they can interact yeah. in the world, but not the way we can. Yeah. Not anything of flesh. Yeah, that's what we've been thinking about. Be, among other things, yeah. yeah. I mean, we were taught from little on up to, to see everything a certain way, but you have to actually change all of that in order to understand what God's trying to say. Like yeah. you've been with your pencil and... Yeah. yeah, and that really helps with things like the passages like Isaiah and Ezekiel and yeah, the, Z, yeah, the, the wheel within the wheel. And, yeah. and even John's descriptions in Revelation. Right. In Revelation, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and one of my favorite quotes from Mandelbrot is actually when when Mandelbrot was talking about fractals and trying to explain for it was a groundbreaking concept for so many people, so many mathematicians and artists and everything. Like everybody understood art in a different way when you talk about fractals. And his his catchphrase was always, "Don't think about what you see, or don't focus on what you see. Focus on what it took to produce what you see. Like what was behind it? What's the part that you don't see? Which is very much like the rectangles and the nomons and the missing square and and all that. It's all part of the same concept to me. And it ties in with the idea that God's creative power is not complicated, but it's complex, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It can be simple and elegant, but still produce complexity. There's powerful. a line at the end of Four Quartets by T.S. Eliot, where he says, a condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. And yeah. I always love that line. But I think I that. what you just mentioned there with me this time, and I've studied chaos theory, and that was mm-hmm. my first introduction to fractals. But I think this time, as I was studying to talk with you, I was struck by the fact that the set that the Mandel brought, that any fractal set is talking about, is the dark part. And yeah. it's, it's the stuff that's outside the set that looks so exciting. And, and you know, and, and that's that's not the content of the set. That's kind of what the set is in the process of excluding. And that's right. that was a fascinating thing for me to think about. And where the beauty is, is at the frontier. Yeah. Yeah. It's the edges that cause the, the beauty and the complexity. 
Yeah, and often generated from very, very simple rules. I mean, what's the yeah, Mandelbrot really set? Simple. Z squared plus Z or something. It's, it's yeah. just, <laughs> it's like algebra one kind of stuff, but it makes this incredibly gorgeous, just like a tree. How does a tree branch? You start with a trunk and then you get two branches. You know, like how simple is that? One plus one equals two. That's one of the very first things you learn in math. And from that, we get trees and plants and flowers and craziness. That brings up the question for me, how does that relate then to the golden mean, the things we were talking about last time? What's the series of numbers we were talking about besides Fibonacci. the Fibonacci? The Fibonacci numbers. Right. Yeah. So how, what's the relation between fractals and all of that? Or is That's, there no? no, there's definitely a relationship. <laughs> Not all fractals have golden properties. Golden properties meaning like the real, the ratios between the numbers or ratios of the dimensions that would give 1.618, 1 plus the square root of 5 over 2. And not all golden things are fractal or would produce fractal dimension, whatever, self-similarity. Uh, but the overlap of those two things is very great. So if I look at something like a nautilus shell, the chambered nautilus shell, one of the very most simple versions of gnomonic growth where an object grows by adding another piece onto it, the overall dimensions of that shell at any part, at any point in time are golden, 1.618 to 1. And it has self-similarity. It has fractal properties. And you could consider that. I mean, well, maybe not. I was going to say you could consider those edges to be a space filling curve, but not really because they wouldn't fill the space. There would still be empty spaces as it grew. I ignore that last 30 seconds. That's, <laughs> no, that's actually fascinating because I'm interested in okay. all of those things and it spurs my own thinking. And I mean, I get so much wrong in all of this, but oftentimes it still gives me something to hold on to that I can move in, in other directions. And the whole mathematical thing starts to escape me. Jenny's trying to get me to do mathematical physics every night now, and I'm working on it, but I'm not as enthusiastic as I think she'd like me to be. <laughs> and I'd love to know this stuff. It's just, it's frustrating for me. I don't, it does not come easily for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and maybe part of what I love about how God speaks to me through mathematics is that that's the thing that feels very native to me. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and uh, not to keep quoting Mandelbrot, but one of one of Mandelbrot's other key ideas about fractals is that fractal geometry or chaotic dynamical system. I believe it. it I believe his original quote was about fractal geometry. Said something along the lines of um, fractal geometry is not just one part of mathematics. It's not a chapter of mathematics. It's an a perspective of mathematics that allows every person to see the same world a different way. And I, I, I feel that about scripture. I feel that about relationships with, with God and how Jesus interacts with each one of us individually is that scripture is the same. Like we have the complete set of, of God's words at this time and place in history, but it still speaks to us differently. The, the jots and diddles, the, the words, you know, every, every bit of scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and reproach and everything. And, and for me, it's the dimensions, the numbers, the genealogies, those things click with me. But for somebody else, it might be the literary tools, the poetry. Oh, that's that. Yeah. <laughs> there you I, go. Oddly enough, we just finished the first part of First Chronicles, and that's just a bunch of um, genealogies. And this is for the first time in my life, reading through them was exciting and tracing some of the lines. And I really had a lot of fun with it. We both did. Jenny's really good with that, much better than I am. So she kind of got me into it. And then I started taking off with it. And I stop every like two or second or third name. And I say, wait a second. Haven't we heard that name before? Where do we find yeah, that? Where, Who where's is that, that guy from? Yeah. yeah. And which, is, which episode was he in? Yeah. <laughs> and so everything in there is there for a reason. And if you start with that assumption, finding the reason is finding the mind of God. 
which is why I'm so excited to hear more from you about how fractals speak to you about God. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.